0: There is not a one-size-fits-all solution to leadership. Discover your inspiration to lead by hearing from those who are in the trenches each day, leading themselves and leading others. We will learn about their unique leadership style and identify the shared qualities between those who do it tremendously well. Welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. All right, ladies and gents, the Lead with Empower podcast ba- is back, and we are joined by another Floridian, all right? This gentleman comes with a l- little bit of a resume right here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. We have a little bit of a sport rivalry thing going on, which will be fun, and we'll work that into our, our discussion, but we're joined by Doug Wector, He's down in the St. Pete area of Florida, He's a f- uh, former Major League Baseball player, works in real estate right now, doing some broadcasts. He's coaching youth sports. The guy's got a full plate, so he's got to be able to lead himself through most of that effectively. So, Doug, welcome to the Leader of Power podcast. How the heck are you?
1: Uh, dude, I'm doing great. I, uh, I, first of all, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I've listened to the podcast, and they do, you guys do a phenomenal job uh so just happy to be on and uh i can't wait to get into our sports rivalry i know you teased that so uh i got some ammunition that i'm waiting to fire
0: i'm sure you do (laughs) um but yeah no thank you again and 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 before we get into the uh the meat of things you know obviously we're in in the middle or hopefully on the tail end of what's been a, a challenging year and change how are you how's your family doing is everybody hanging in doing okay
1: well i appreciate you asking um yeah i mean my goodness this last you know year and a half has been crazy right yeah. nobody anticipated the things that you know society and everybody has had to deal with you know the pandemic is just uh it turns a lot of things around but um you know in every situation you can always find the positives and i think that's where our family is um you know at first it was pretty easy to feel sorry for yourselves for, you know, we're either missing work or missing all the kids' events or, you know, having to stay home, do virtual school and all these things that you just don't plan on. Yeah. Um, but in the long run, you look back and you're like, well, I mean, there's some really good things that came out of, um, you know, having to be at home. And I got to spend more quality time with my family and, you know, my two kids and my wife than I have in years. Um, and that, that's, that was a huge blessing. Uh, not to mention that we got to finally start working going out on the boat that i had owned for a while and that thing had sat on my boat lip for uh, i don't know how long without me cranking it and you know during the pandemic we were able to get out there a lot and uh reintroduce ourselves to some fishing so that was a good time but uh you know uh overall you look back and um And our family is doing well. And, uh, you know, we're happy to start to see everything pretty much opening up again and somehow getting back to, uh, I guess you could call it some normalcy. Um, I'm still not used to wearing masks everywhere. Uh, I can't say that I'm a huge fan of it. But, uh, you know, if that's the worst thing we got to deal with in 2021, you know, that that's not too
0: bad it could be worse. I agree a hundred percent and glad to hear that, you know, you and your family are doing well. And I was going to say, you have a boat, but you're juggling all this other stuff. It's pre pandemic. That thing was probably collecting some dust out there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, man. It was, uh, it was unfortunate. It was just my buddy. I remember my buddy telling me uh, one day he, he came up to me. He's like, Hey man, your boat just looks sad. It looks sad that you haven't used it. And I was like, God, that, that hurts. Uh, So yeah, I have been busy. The family has been busy, but uh, we've been able to carve some time out to get on that water in St. Pete, Florida and, you know, try to do our best for fishing.
0: There you go. There you go. I love it. Um, You're involved and we'll start here. You're involved with the Rays. You call games, uh, doing the broadcast. Give uh, the listener and we have our audience spans a little bit. We have, you know, some Connecticut folks and Northeast, and then we do have some traction down in Florida as well. In your view, how would you say things are going? It's early still. It's like a month into the year for the Rays. How would you say the season's going from your point of view? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's
1: going where it needs to go for sure. I mean, they're not leading the division and uh, out ahead by any means, but they're also not uh, so far behind that the season's over with, right? Yeah. I mean, the first, the old adage is that you're not going to win the division in the first month, but you can lose it. Yeah. And uh, you know, as of right now, the Rays are hovering yeah. around 500. And uh, you know, until mid-season, that's kind of where we anticipated they'd be. Uh, they got so much talent in the minor league system. I mean, it's ridiculous the amount of guys they have, and they're all really at the double-A AA, and triple-A level. So these guys are, are going to be seen in the big leagues this year. And, I, you know, everybody's anticipating probably in the summertime we're going to see uh, the number one prospect, Juan Franco come up. Uh, he's going to instantly help the club offensively. Um, you know, we got some pitching prospects that are starting to get up to the big league level now who are just filthy and uh, really going to help out the club. So, you know, as of this year, right now, they're, they're doing, you know, what they need to do to keep themselves in the hunt. Yeah. Uh, and I will say they are dominating the Yankee series every time out. So uh, I, I have to mention that right off the bat.
0: No, it's good. It's, the, 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 the door is open podcast. now. The doors open. <laughs> <laughs> I, I checked the standings right before we recorded. Exactly. The Yankees got them, I think by like a half game. So we're, we're doing all right. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah neck and neck
0: <laughs> they're they're the rays are are interesting and i and i'm an i'm an outsider i am a baseball fan but i'm not a fantasy following stats every day it's you know it's like background noise for me when a lot you know when you're hanging outside until the fall you know late summer fall when when it gets serious but the rays have been on like the uh, two steps ahead of other teams, I feel like in the way they play the game. And then you see teams now starting to implement some of the things the Rays have been doing for, you know, two, three years prior. Um, And it's, it's not necessarily a, a specific like leadership question, but it does take some stones to say, this is the way everybody else is doing it. Our outfit is going to do it this way, and it's going to work for us. Talk a little, because it, it and it, you're seeing it more now with the openers and you know relievers and um, you know switch you know position players and shifts, and it's it's so commonplace now versus you know you know a handful of years ago. And you've been involved with the organization for a while. Why, like, why, why, why do they, why do they go that route? And talk a little bit about, I guess, what it does. You know, in your perspective, to you know to the other teams that you're facing because it is a new a kind of system of operation in this sport.
1: Yeah. You know, um, going back to where you start seeing the Rays make all these adjustments and all these changes, I think, you know, it's just like any other business, right? You have a budget and you got to try to make the most out of what the budget you have. Right. And so the Rays are obviously not at the top tier when you're talking about budgeting and finance uh, they have to compete against, you know, New York Yankees, right? The Boston Reds, they were just in the world series against the LA Dodgers. These are teams that are spending 50 to $200 million a year on payroll. That's not what they're built on. They, they don't have that financial backing. So, uh, that doesn't mean they don't want to win any less. It just means they got to find a unique way to do it. They can't go head to head and just try to outspend these teams. So that's where I think all of the new age of thinking came from, right? I mean, they basically went out there and said, okay, we're not gonna be able to spend money, so we gotta find a different way to win. And through that, they started incorporating, you know, the analytics of the game. And you started seeing a huge shift, you know, five, 10 years ago of how baseball is analyzed and played and managed on the field, um, from pitching to, you know, just hitting what style of hitters they want, um, you know, what style of defensive players they want, the utility players that they're going to bring in over a high priced, you know, corner guy. Um, and essentially they built a formula and a system that they thought would be the right algorithm to win. And it turns out it was and, it works you know, pretty look, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These guys are spending a quarter of what everybody else is spending. And they're in the playoffs now every year, they've got one of the best farm systems that um, any major league team has. So that means they're going to be good for a while. Yeah. They just had to do it differently. They, they don't, Sign guys to huge contracts to multiple years. And, you know, that's good and bad. I mean, you get fans who are upset that you see their best players leave after three, four years. You know, We just had Blake Snell, who was considered, you know, maybe not the ace of the staff. He was at least the top one or two guys in a World Series team. And you trade him, and we still had him under contract for at least another year or two. Um, but they have to systematically do that to keep their payroll down and also bring in new talent.
0: Yeah. Fortifies Uh, the minor league system when you trade a guy with a couple years left on the contract. Yep.
1: Right. And so because of the way they're doing things, uh, they're doing it very cheap and they're winning a lot and other teams that were spending a ton of money are seeing this formula and they're like, well, why are we spending so much if the Rays are able to do it at a quarter or half of the price? And so you see a lot of people trying to emulate their success. And uh, we're starting to see it a lot. I mean, look, the A's were one of the originals who were, were right there with the Rays. So these two teams found a way and found a system that would work for them for their low payrolls and still win. But now you're seeing even the Yankees, you're seeing the Red Sox, you're seeing all these teams incorporate a lot of what the Rays had started and uh, it really obviously is helping them, too, when you look at the records and you look at their payroll decreasing. And, um, you know, it's it's just a different age of baseball from when I played. I mean, when I played, it was basically George Steinbrenner's going out there to put every Hall of Famer on the field against me. And I got to go out and try to pitch against these dudes. <laughs> and uh, that's why my lifetime ERA is hovering around a five.
0: Um. It, it it is a great point though. And again, this is you know, for people that are listening and not, maybe not into baseball, what Doug just described is like, hey, let's figure out what what our resources are and the guys that we have. And they're not bums, right? They're in the majors for a reason. They have a skill set. Let's and let's figure out our our operating system to maximize what we have access to and be creative and be innovative to find a system that works. So, you know, it is a baseball thing, but, you know, from a leadership standpoint, like Doug said, it's, it's a chat, there's a challenge and there's going to be a solution. It's just, you know, doing the math, essentially doing the analytics.
1: A hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. you talk about the leadership, the leadership of the race. I mean, look, you make any move, you make any changes, you're going to be ridiculed. And you're going to be ridiculed by a lot of people out there who say you're going to be doing it wrong. This isn't how you do it. This isn't how we've done it in the past. Why would you ever try to change? Then four or five years later, they're all trying to emulate you, right? The Rays aren't worried about what people think of them. The Rays go out there and they believe in changes that they make. They make them very, they're based off of very educated decisions. And when they make a move, they stick behind that move and they see it out. And look, I'll tell you, I mean, these guys have been absolute geniuses when it comes to uh, moves on the field, moves on the roster, and also just business moves in general of what they've done. So it's been a lot of fun. You know, I played for them in a different era. uh, And then I'm now I've, you know, covered them for the last seven years. And just seeing the transition of what this organization has done uh, from where they were and where they're going now, uh, it's been incredible.
0: So, and, and you touched on this, and we'll get into the details of, of kind of your time in, in, the, in the major league as a pro baseball player. But, you know, you started in 2003, uh, at, you drafted in 99, you know, first big league outing in 03. Um, being in that older school generation, not in the 70s and 80s, uh, but in that, you know, early 2000s, and then comparing the game then to what it is now, do you enjoy the brand of baseball that you see now more than what you were a part of when you, when you were an athlete, a player, talk a little bit about that. Like just from a pure observer standpoint, a fan standpoint, what, what do you like about the way it's played now? And maybe what do you miss about, you know, the way it was played when you were, when you were in the bigs? Uh,
1: yeah. You know, Dan, that was a real nice way of you hovering over the fact you just called me old. So, I want to really veteran, veteran, mature, (laughs) a mature veteran, yeah, man. Thank you for that. Thank you for putting that so politely. Um, yeah, you know, uh, it is a great question and something I think about a lot when I'm watching baseball. It's a totally new age, right? A totally new era of baseball you see guys when they're hitting home runs bat flipping in the first inning of a game when there's you know eight innings to play still and you see guys on the mound they're striking guys out and pounding their chest and just celebrating all these small victories a lot more than we were ever able to yeah right I was always told on the mound you strike somebody out and you show them up get ready for a brawl right and the same thing if somebody flips a bat on you you're going to put one in their ribs next time up because that's the way you do it Um, somebody throws inside you throw inside right back at them and it it was a different brand of baseball a different era Um, since I came up in that era I loved it that's uh, you know naturally the way I think of the game still whether it uh, it is like that now or not it's just you know in the back of my mind that's how I played it and that's how I see it Um, but that being said I don't have anything against the way that it's being played now I still enjoy it the game so much i I love this game it's kind of in my blood and um whether i would play the same way as some of the players are right now or not it doesn't take away from how much i enjoy watching them and watching them do their thing because you know honestly um, when i was playing i think the average fastball was around 92 93 miles an hour Yeah. And, you know you could top out 95 97 you had a guy in your bullpen maybe one guy in your bullpen that could throw around 98 to 100 nowadays you got guys who are throwing triple digits you know 100 miles an hour you got 3 or 4 of them on every team you got guys hitting home runs that are you know almost 500 feet every night yeah. like these guys are so strong and so good at what they do i'm still in awe just watching the talent on the field and that's where I think I really just still have the love of the game um you know it, it's uh some of the new things they're doing now the celebrations all that maybe maybe that's not exactly for me but I will say that the talent and the way these guys are playing the passion that they put into the game um yeah man it, it's pretty awesome to still yep. witness and watch but it is a different game I mean it look is, I it think- is
0: so I guess uh, to, for the listeners that aren't super into baseball, we'll, we'll dive into, uh, you know, some other topics for a short period of time here, but you know, you're obviously involved with the Rays and the throw of their seasons. You're in real estate. You have a family, you coach um, with uh, a mutual friend, Mr. John coach, Mr. Coach, John Vigue. Um <laughs> a lot of multitasking going on and, and well- you know, there's the old adage, like you could be, you know, you know, good at many things, but not a master of all of them. You know, talk a little bit about, I guess the, the, the self-leadership required to, to be effective at your job, because that's important to be effective at your night job, calling games and to, you know, get, give your all to the young athletes that you're coaching and still be, you know, a family guy. Talk a little bit about that dynamic and how you try to navigate successfully through each day.
1: Yeah, um, it is. Boy, you saying it back to me. Now I'm thinking about my schedule, and maybe I should eliminate some things. Um, yeah, you say that uh, you could be good at a lot of things, not great at any. I'm just trying to be good at a lot of things. <laughs> Dude, we'll see if that happens. But, um, you know, it's a full schedule. I got a uh, mentor group and a Bible study group that they, they've told me in the past that, you know, you got to put your big rocks in first, yeah. right? You got to make sure that the most important things to you are taken care of. And then everything else, you know, that's whole schedule, you know, me and my wife are just kind of running a million different ways every night. It seems like, um, I, you know, I got two jobs that I'm working right now between, you know, broadcasting and real estate. Um, you know, my wife is, uh, assistant principal over at our elementary school. She's in charge of like 500 families. And then we have my son on, you know, two different baseball teams, a, ba- a basketball team. My daughter's on, you know, the, uh, softball team with, uh, big you and Joe D ring, which, you know, that, <laughs> that is, um, that is my time to just relax and just enjoy it. Um, getting out there with those boys. I mean, yeah, I, I circle that on my calendar and uh, I make sure to get out there as much as I can. Cause when I see Joe and, and John and their elements, man, I can just sit back and I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun being out there, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things where I try to make sure our priorities are taken care of first. Right. And you know, um, job is obviously up there, but it's not number one. Uh, mm-hmm. The number one priority is the family. You know, my wife and and my kids and uh, their well-being. And I think that if I always focus on them and um, what's best for them, I think that everything else kind of lines up behind that. Uh, You know, and and the second thing is I take a lot of pride in um, what I do and not that doesn't just mean my job. Right. That means uh, everything that I say I'm going to be a part of. That means, uh, you know, whether it's coaching on the field, whether it is my job, whether it's broadcasting, whether uh, whatever I sign up to do that day, I make sure that I put my best foot forward because I'm representing myself and my family. And if I don't, you know, that that just doesn't sit well with me. So I think a lot of it is just the, the pride of making sure that um, if I tell somebody I'm going to do something, that I'm going to do it right. And so uh, that kind of translates into, you know, my full schedule.
0: Love it. Love it. And (laughs) I touched on this early in the episode. You're, you're an experienced veteran, savvy veteran individual here. If you had a bit of advice or wisdom from your personal experiences in, in multitasking and and doing it well, you know, heard nothing but great things, uh, you know, about you from Joe and John and, you know, our little pre, uh, pre-podcast huddle, that was great. And, um, you know, if you're talking to a group of high school or college students who find themselves in that thing where they're juggling school, social, sport, or, you know, a young professional who's juggling all those same things, if you had to give a, a nugget or two of, of wisdom from your experiences, what would those be, Doug? Uh, yeah, boy,
1: great question. You know, uh, I have been in those situations where I'm talking to high school kids, whether it's baseball teams, you know, uh, wh- wherever it is, whatever I do. And I always try to mention the story of, uh, the first time I went to Yankee stadium and when I went there, uh, we went and we have to share a gym and this is the old Yankee stadium. We share a gym. And so the Yankees were out and we were walking in. I was with the double race at the time and, what, I was 22, 23 years old. And so I know I'm walking in the gym and I'm thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, Yankee Stadium, these guys are 27-time world champions. They love to tell us that all the time. Yeah, you know, We know. <laughs> but going into the gym, going into the gym, I'm like, okay, well, I'm sure we're going to see all these, you know, um, just trophies everywhere, how great they are. And, you know, I just kind of prepared myself in the back of my head. I was like, eh, you know, we'll see what it is. And so I get into the gym and – the only thing on the wall right they're beautiful jim but the only thing on the wall was a banner and this banner said get comfortable with the uncomfortable right and so i'm walking in there and that's the first time i ever heard that statement and i start thinking in the back of my head i'm like man these guys have won how many world series these guys have a guy in Derek jeter who looks like he is never uncomfortable You know, they got guys who are under the spotlight every single night playing, you know, on ESPN for millions of people, for hundreds of millions of dollars, all this stuff. And you look at them, you would think, wow, they're very comfortable in what they're doing. Right. You would never think that they're nervous. You never think that they have anxiety. They never have any of these things going on. But when I saw that sign, I was like, you know what? Everybody goes through that. Right. Everybody goes through situations where they're uncomfortable. Right. Everybody goes through these situations where uh, you put yourself out there and you don't know what's going to happen. But you know that there's a possibility of something really good happening. And so after I walked out of that gym, I started thinking in my head, I was like, you know what? It's a good thing to get uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing to push yourself to where you're uncomfortable. Because if you're not, that means you're not pushing yourself enough right? It's a good thing to go out there and, and get nervous about something, right? Get, get worried that something might not work out because you're putting yourself in a situation that you haven't been in before, right? And great things happen in those situations. But if you never challenge yourself to the point where you're nervous about something or you're uncomfortable with something, well, then are you really challenging yourself at all? Like, are you even trying to get the best out of yourself? It's okay to go out there and be nervous and get uncomfortable and even fail. It's okay right? It's okay. That's what I tell a lot of kids. That's why I tell, honestly, that's why I remind myself a lot of times, if you don't have things on your schedule coming up that you look at and you say, oh man, that, that's, uh, it's going to take some faith. Like I, I, I got to push myself through this one. It's going to be tough, but you know what? I'm going to do it. And I'm going to see if I can just nail it, knock it out of the park. Yep. Um, if you don't have that on your schedule, are you challenging yourself? Right. You know, and it's something that I kind of take to heart And it's something that I put into a message anytime I'm either mentoring or talking to, you know, either a group of kids or anybody who honestly is listening.
0: (laughs) No, No, it's a, it's a great point. It's something we talk about through our adventure programs. If you're not in a spot where failure is an option or mediocrity is an option and, you know, and, and great success is an option. You're, you're not putting yourself in a spot where, you're challenging yourself and you have a chance to improve regardless of what the result is. Right. And I think that's, you know, it's important challenge yourself. And even if you fall short, you're better than you were before that situation happened. So we're going to get into the career here a little bit. And I I didn't know this until a little while ago, your first start 2003 was a freaking gem. Completely shut out against a, a solid lineup. I looked at the Mariners roster Two-hit shutout in, in game one of the Major League career. Take us back to what the heck was going on in between the ears for that first outing. Because uh, that's impressive. You don't see that. and You don't see complete games ever now. But for a guy making his Major League debut to go nine strong, two-hits shutout, tell us a little bit about that. Dude,
1: it was – yeah, I should have retired right after that and uh, shut it down with a zero ERA and undefeated in the big leagues. Those were like Hall of Fame numbers, you know what I mean? Um, So it was my second start in the big leagues. Uh, My first appearance in the big leagues was actually a couple days prior to that, and it was in Seattle, and I got the win in my first appearance. So I was already 1-0, but I had not started a game, right? Uh, I've only pitched once. And so I go out there and uh, Lou Pinello is my manager and he tells me a couple of days beforehand, he's like, Hey man, um, just so you know, you're going to get the ball when we go back to Tampa, you're going to get the start. And so I, you know, when he told me that I was just kind of stone faced him. Like I was uh, not nervous. And I was like, yeah, of course. Uh, Sounds good. He starts walking away. I'm like, Oh my God, (laughs) here we go. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I fly back home and obviously I'm, born and raised, you already mentioned this, born and raised in St. Pete. And so the Trop Camp Field, I went to the first game ever at the Trop uh, in high school with my buddies. You know, we scored a ticket. We were sitting up or you know, third section. Yeah. And I grew up, you know, ever since then, I was a huge Rays fan. And to be able to pitch in a stadium that is 15 minutes from where you grew up, like door to door, it was unbelievable. You know, there's so many things that go through your head. Uh, just driving in the park that day, right? I really didn't sleep that well the night before, but driving to the park that day, you're thinking, well, um, I've already had to put down about 100 people on the ticket list, and those are the people that just, you know, reached out to me and knew my number. I know a lot of <laughs> other people are going to be there, but it's, I'm essentially going out there in front of everybody I've ever met and getting to pitch in a big league setting uh, for a team that is, you know, my, my team. Uh, It's my local team. And so going up to the Trop, I can remember being so nervous and excited and everything going on. But I told myself, you know, as soon as I get out there and and get between the lines, let's just take care of business. Just focus on the task at hand and don't worry about anything else outside the lines. You know, nothing else can uh, affect you once you cross that line. And so uh, I went out there and dude, it was one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life. That ball was just flying out of my hand. I can remember at-bats, you know, Brett Boone was on their team. Ichiro Suzuki was on that team. Um, You know, these guys who were really, really good back then, um, haven't heard their names in a while, but these guys were consistently hitting, you know, three to three fifty every year, crushing home runs. And uh, so I go out there and I get to throw and, you know, by the fourth, fifth inning, I'm looking around. I'm like, golly, man, I'm feeling really good right now, hoping that nobody talks to me. I'm just sitting in the corner of the dugout, you know, and just uh, wondering if Panella's going to trust me to keep going out there. And uh, by the time I was in the eighth, ninth inning, I keep, you know, jogging out to the field. Pitching coach didn't say anything to me. So unless he takes that ball from me, I'm, I'm taking that mound. And that's what happened. <laughs> And so I uh, ran out there in the ninth inning and dude, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, it was probably, I, you know, they didn't have a ton of fans in the stadium because the Rays didn't draw that well back then, but every, it seemed like every single person in that stadium uh, was on their feet chanting, yep. you know, my last name going out in that ninth inning. And the coolest part, one of the coolest parts of the night was when I ran out in the ninth inning, I jogged to the field and As soon as I got to the mound, I picked up the ball, and my tradition was I would kneel on the back of the mound and say a little prayer before everything, like, you know, real quick, get up and start throwing my warm-up pitches. As soon as I turned around, got up, and got onto the mound looking at home plate, I looked around, and my team was still in the dugout. They let me take the field by myself and have that moment. And everybody, oh, dude, everybody in the stadium was on their feet chanting Wector and let's go wector and i'm just looking around and it was like the one time that you get to really kind of take it in because yeah. you're not you're not really li- you're you're so in the moment you, you want to do well right and you you got to focus so hard on trying to get these guys out you don't really let it sink in at the time but that was the one moment that night that i kind of let it sink in just for a second. And. Man, I, I get chills thinking about it right now.
0: Oh, that's wild. That's unbelievable. What a story. Unbelievable, unbelievable start. Now, for anybody that's familiar with baseball, they know that prior to having that first big moment as a big leaguer, it's it's pretty tough treading, right? Going, you know, the minor league life and Um, you know, a lot of guys are lifers and, and, and never make it to the big show. And a lot of guys maybe say, Hey, it's not worth it anymore. I could be making more money doing, you know, you know, some sort of business or doing some sort of work outside of that. Talk a little bit about, you know, from a, I think a leadership challenge standpoint, that aspect, like before you can get to this unbelievably high moment, this, this lifelong memory there's probably some challenging times, you know, during the journey, uh, prior to that, just you know, give us a little insight into that side of it, because no one sees it. No one hears that hears about that, sees about that. Um, you see what you see on TV and that's about it.
1: Oh, uh, the minor leagues is, uh, exactly what you would think they are. Have you ever seen the movie bold Durham? That's oh, yeah. a pretty, uh, that's a pretty perfect description of a lot of these minor leagues and a lot of the minor league parks. Um, you meet a lot of good people but i'll tell you there's some trying times and you talk about leadership and you know what leaders need and and some, some of the uh personality traits that leaders have well they all are self motivated in my mind you know a lot of these um a lot of the leaders are very successful go out there and they're just they don't need outside motivation they're motivated on their own right and they're going to succeed and they're going to find a way to do it and i think that is a trait that really helps in the minor leagues because, you know, you're going up and you get drafted, right. And you get sent to uh, rookie ball or a ball where they're paying you. I think my paycheck was um, 800 bucks a month and it was split in two. So every two weeks you're getting, you know, 400 bucks and you're living in a hotel. Um, you don't know anybody on the team. And by the way, in rookie ball, I led the league in wild pitches and walks. So (laughs) it wasn't like my uh, ERA was, you know, small and and I was dealing. It was it was a rough go that first year. And so um, it's one of those things that you just got to you got to stick to your goals. Right. And you got to be long term thinking. You can't be short term thinking because the short term thinkers they'd be done after three, four weeks of you know, failing at yeah. a certain level. they just say, you know, it's not worth it to me. I, you know, I'll never make it. Wh- whatever the reason is, um, you see a lot of guys quit, and you see them quit pretty quick. Uh, it's the ones that can kind of stick through it and have that long-term goal in mind to be able to just persevere. Yeah. And when they persevere, a lot of times they end up where they want to be. And even if they don't, they can hold their heads high knowing that they played baseball and they got to the highest level that they could achieve yeah. uh, personally. So, you know, it, it taught me a lot. The minor leagues taught me a lot. Not all good, but <laughs> it was definitely a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I'm glad I had to go through
0: it. Awesome. And, and you brought up a great point that there's the self-motivation and baseball is a unique sport in that you have to be an effective team to, to win, to be successful, but there are a lot of kind of individual aspects in the game as well. Um, Again, and, and as a guy that, you know, bounced around a little bit in both in the minors and the majors, you know, the dynamic of team in the sport of baseball, how important is it? And, Maybe without throwing anybody under the bus, like give us an example of like a great clubhouse you were in from like a camaraderie team dynamic standpoint, and maybe some you know an example on the opposite end of that where it was you could tell there was you know maybe tension on a daily daily basis in the clubhouse or on the rides to and from games, etc.
1: Oh yeah, um, and, and I was in both. Honestly, I, I've been in some really great clubhouses and some you know clubhouses that you're just going to the park. Essentially, you feel like you're going go there to get, get a paycheck and then head home. Yeah. And that's one of the worst feelings in the world, right? Um, and, you know, it all stems from the leadership of the veteran guys in the clubhouse. I think a lot of it stemmed from that. Um, I was with, a, you know, I'll just say I was with one Rays team that had some individuals, and it wasn't the Rays' fault. It was just the individuals. They would go out, and I remember them talking about how much we're going to lose by that night. And these are the veteran guys who were already getting paid. And they were literally just in their sour because, you know, they either weren't on a different team or they just didn't they didn't care anymore, right? Yeah. They got to the point where they didn't care. And, you know, it made it miserable for everybody going through that clubhouse at that point in time. Uh, and it showed on the field, right? Nobody played together. It, it was just not a good atmosphere. Um, the record was terrible for the team. And it was really tough to show up to work. And, you know, that that was hard. That was hard. It was a, It was something I learned that, uh, you know, I didn't want to be a part of. And if uh, I could change things, I would. Um, I've been on other teams and it's still in the same organization, the same race organization where they had a much better leadership. And, you know, you wanted to go to the park. You yeah. wanted to succeed and you didn't want to do it just for yourself. You wanted to do it for the team. You didn't want to let your team down. Now, baseball, softball, these are sports that are the most individualized team sport that you can find, yeah. right? um, you literally go out there, you have your own stats. You, if you're a starting pitcher, you can win or lose the game in one pitch easily out of hundred pitches. And so, um, it's hard not to think of it as an individual sport at times, but the overall picture is you got a team and when your leadership was right, uh, the team was right. And you felt more of that team environment, the team atmosphere. You didn't feel like everything was on your own. You didn't feel like you were an individual playing in the same uniform as some of these other guys are, right? It, the leaders help you go out and and feel like you are going out there to give your best to be a part of a team that is going to try to collectively win this game, yeah. and it was the best feeling in the world when you got on a team like that and you were able to really lock it in because you felt like you were a band of brothers that um, no matter if you did uh, you know make an error or you you fell short, well somebody's going to pick you up. You don't feel like you're on your own out there. And, uh, you know, I thought leadership was a huge role. In that.
0: Give, a, give us a guy that, ex- that in your mind, especially in your earlier years, and it, and it could have been, you know, with the Rays or Marlins or Royals, but a guy in your, you know, from your perspective who just, who did that right and, and, and what he did to maybe bring, form that band of brothers as opposed to a, a roster of 25 individuals.
1: Yeah, um, two of the best teammates I've ever had in my life are Tino Martinez and Luis Gonzalez, and those two individuals, um, I felt like every time I saw them at the park, they did everything the right way. They, I mean, from the way that they dressed to go to the field to keep it professional, to the way that they talked to the media, to the way that they handled the young players and and sought to mentor young guys who had talent but didn't really. You know, have it between the ears yet? Um, didn't understand the game yet. They were always trying to teach the younger guys the right way to go about your business, yeah. on and off the field. You could see them in the hotel; they'd be they'd be carrying themselves differently yeah. than a lot of other guys, and it stood out. Right? It stood out because you look at them, you're like, you know what? if I get to be a veteran in this league, that's the type of veteran I want to be. That's the type of guy right there. And, you know, another common thread with both those guys is they would chew your ass out if they needed to, right? It wasn't like everybody's just, you know, hey, let's go to the clubhouse, let's all high five and try to win a game and make sure everybody's friendly and getting along. It was one of those that, hey, if you didn't run that ground ball out, you better watch your ass because Tino's about to get into you or Luis Gonzalez will be right on top of you making sure you understand that's not the way to play baseball. Yeah. Um, and that's a leadership quality that those guys had that, you know, they made it made everyone respect them. Uh, it wasn't just the resume, but it was the way they carried themselves. And you almost didn't want to let them down, right? Yeah. You, you look at them, you're like, man, uh, it, you know, if Tino's watching, I better be on my A game because, you know, he wants to make sure that this is done right. And, and you don't want to let that guy down. And so you end up going out there and and giving it your best for uh, multiple reasons, but that's one of them. Yep.
0: Tino Martinez, ex Yankee. Great. (laughs) I didn't even notice that. Don Madden. I'm a Don Madden. was my guy growing up and uh, him retiring and Tino coming in was tough. We actually went to a game down in Baltimore, his first or second year with the Yankees. And we ran into him in the inner Harbor. And I was 21. I had two younger brothers in their late teens. And my 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 brother Matt is, was the biggest diehard. And we walked by this guy, and Matt's hitting us. He's like, Holy shit, that's Tino, that's Tino, that's Tino. So you know, circle back, you know, doing about face. Hey, uh, you mind taking a photo with us? And nicest guy. He did. He stopped in the harbor with, with what he was doing and took a couple seconds to take a pic with us, which was pretty cool. So glad you shouted him out. I love loved him on the Yanks.
1: Yeah. He's honestly, he's one of those guys where you, you talk about him and stories like that come up no matter what, like yeah. you cannot find one person on this earth who does not like Tino Martinez, unless they're a Red Sox fan.
0: Yeah, right. That's about it. That's <laughs> the only way
1: you're not going to like Tino because Tino owned the Red Sox.
0: And it's a testament to his leadership too. Cause as he mentioned a couple minutes ago, he would chew your ass out if you didn't hit a standard, but he would also be the guy to give you the slap on the rear end when you, if you needed to pick me up and I think that's what people respect, and that's what people are drawn to in, in anything, sport, in business, in, in the home life, whatever it might be. It's a great, great story, Doug. I appreciate it. Um, besides your first start at the Trop, what was your oh, shit moment? Like, I'm here. I, uh, what the hell's going to happen?
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Good question. Uh, probably when I started a bench clearing brawl. Uh, in Chicago, that would be a big oh shit moment. <laughs> um, so it was the very next year I was still considered a rookie, and um, so I get called up. I didn't make the team out of camp. I got called up maybe two, three weeks into the season. Our first, uh, I think it was the first road trip with the Rays that uh, was in Chicago, and Frank Thomas was on the team. Um, you know, Juan Uribe was on that team. Uh, yeah, there's just Mark Burley was their ace, yep. stud pitcher, Um, Paul Canerco, those guys. So I go out there and I got the start and it's a day game. And so I'm warming up in the right field bullpen. And, you know, you got Chicago fans that are five feet away from you warming up. Just and they just, just laying into me about how Frank Thomas is going to hit one, you know, a, a thousand feet. And it's going to go out of the stadium and, uh, you know, all this stuff. And then they're talking about my mom. And then they're talking about my family members and all, you know, everything that you can imagine when you're warming up for a major league game. You're trying to uh, uh, get out, out of your head. And these guys were all over me. It was pretty good. And, um, first and So, uh, he stands way off the plate. He's not even close yeah. to the plate. And so, uh, a huge individual. I mean, when I say huge, this guy – Uh, He was very intimidating because of his stature. Oh, yeah. he was a tight end at Auburn when he
0: was in college, yeah.
1: I I think he was 6'5", 6'6", probably, I'm guessing 280, 290. I mean, enormous man. And it looked like he was pure muscle. And so he gets up to the plate, and I let a fastball rip. And I'm trying to go outside corner, and I miss. And I miss inside. And it almost hit him, right, about four or five inches away from him. So he jumps off the plate and he stares at me just for a quick second, but he made it obvious that he didn't like it. Right. I didn't think twice about it. So I get the ball back and throw the next pitch. He hits, I think it's a double in the gap or, you know, he crushed the ball off of me somewhere. He gets on base. And so I get out of the inning. I'm like, okay, you know, no big deal. I'm I'm sitting in the dugout and Carl Crawford was our main guy. And so uh, Burley got two quick outs and Mark Burley is their starting pitcher, command guy. You know, didn't throw that hard, but never missed a spot. He put one directly in the spine of Carl Crawford, right, Dotson, right in the middle of the numbers. And so I'm watching this. I'm like, man, he threw that because I threw inside Thomas. And so I stand up and I walk down to the end of the dugout where Pinella is. And you know, you got to imagine, you know, Pinella is looking at me. I'm 23 year old. I got like five starts in the big leagues. And I go over and I I'm looking. I'm like, hey, Skip, you know you need me to do something about this? You know, just like, like, hey, I'm ready if you need me to. And he looks up to me like, dude, you know, he's got this look on his face like, kid, shut up and sit down. You know what I mean? (laughs) He's like, dude, it's the second inning. Go sit down, you know? And so I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. My heart's just pounding out of my chest at this time. And so uh, I go to the end of the dugout, didn't think twice about it, go back out, and I start pitching. I'm pitching well. I get through the fifth inning. We're up two to one. And so I'm sitting down in the dugout and I knew I was probably going back out for the sixth. And so I'm sitting there and all of a sudden my pitching coach comes over, doesn't look at me, sits right next to me, taps me on the knees, like, hey, um, you get a chance. Why don't you put one in Thomas's leg? And I was like, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, yeah, wait, what?
0: <laughs> Couldn't you like, pick the second baseman or something?
1: <laughs> I was like, yeah, man. What do you mean, Thomas? There's a lot of other guys on that team that are half his size. Um, you know, there's no way I want to dot that guy if I'm going to have to pick, but you know, I can't say that. And so, uh, you know, pitching coach walks away. I'm like, okay, man, here we go. You know, let's do this. And so, uh, we go back out to the mound and, you know, he told me if I get two quick outs is when he wants me to do it. And so I'm like, all right, if I get two quick outs. I'll do it. First pitch popped up. Second pitch of the inning popped up. That's the definition of two quick outs, right? As quick as it but gets. you cannot get any quicker than two pitches, two outs. So two pitches, two outs. I get the ball back. My catcher knows exactly what, you know, the plan is, right? And so uh, I get on the mound, get the ball back. He gives me the universal sign to uh, go ahead and, and dot somebody, yeah, which is, uh, which is the bird finger. <laughs> the old number one? He gave me the old number one. And I'm like, okay, man, you know, we, we got to do it. We got to protect our team, you know. Um, that's what I gotta do. That's what I gotta do. So I go into my motion and I let one fly and I miss him by about two inches. Right. And so the only thing that you don't want to do when you're hitting somebody is miss, right? (laughs) The one thing that you can't do is miss. And so I missed him the first, the very first try. And, you know, he gets out of the way. He knows, obviously I'm trying to drill him. The whole stadium knows I'm trying to drill this guy. 40,000 people are on their feet booing me in Chicago. I get the ball back, and I'm like, my God, I can't believe I just missed the biggest human being on earth. You know, And so um, I get the ball back, and we couldn't make it look too obvious. So my catcher throws a uh, fastball outside, wants me to throw a fastball outside just you know, so I can't double up on it. And so that's what happened. So I threw a pitch outside corner, uh, strike on the outside corner. You know, Thomas obviously was a little – Shocked that I didn't go right back in, but uh, it, so I get the ball back. It's a one-one count, and uh, straight back to the middle finger. But uh, let's let's get this done right. And so I uh, I go into my windup, man. I let one fly, and I started at his leg. And all of a sudden, that ball rode up right by his numbers. Boom! <laughs> dotted him, right right in the back. And I, I hit him. I'm like, okay, I got him. You know, I sent the message. I got him. All of a sudden, he turns around, drops his bat, and starts walking directly toward me. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, my God, this guy gets a hold of me. He's going to rip me in half. But I can't stay on the mound either. Like, I'm going to have to defend myself. Well, you know, I'm going to have to go at him if he starts running at me. Yeah. And so I start walking kind of toward him and kind of toward our dugout. <laughs> give, me a, give me a little bit of time to see who else is coming out there and see uh, and just kind of get my bearings. Uh, and so by that time you know he's kind of walking out but not too fast my catcher jumps in front of him I'm walking toward him but not directly toward him yeah both dugouts clear everybody yelling at each other you know you hear Pinella in the background screaming at their entire team <laughs> you know their entire team's calling me a headhunter um, it, it was absolute mayhem for about two minutes there and remember I'm still a rookie I'm 23 years old my heart's just pounding out of my chest and so uh you know I, I get the ball back and the umpire comes up to me and he's like all right both teams are worn and he looked at me he's like doug you're warned." and he's like do you know what that means and i'm looking at him and i was like dude i have no idea what that means you know I, I like i can't even think straight right now i have no clue what that means and the umpire looks at me and he's like hey, dude just keep pitching the way you're pitching you're and he walked back there uh, Juan Uribe was the very next batter, popped him up on two pitches, and I'm walking off the mound. Right? 40,000 people stood back up, were booing me. Damn. It was one of the, it was one of, the, honestly, it was one of the best feelings in the world going on the road being booed by their home fans because you know you did something right for your That's team. That's right. Right. That's right. You, do, you did something for your team. So, uh, yeah. So it was an experience, dude, that I, I swear to you, I think about that all the time, just looking back, like, <laughs> Man, I can't believe that happened. You know, <laughs> I had Frank Thomas's posers in my room growing up.
0: <laughs> awesome. That is, that is fantastic. Great story. And again, ladies and gentlemen, with Doug Wechter, he's a former Major League ball player. He's does some broadcasting with the Rays, works in real estate. And we're going to get into that for a couple minutes here. You retired from baseball 2011. Easy decision, tough decision? Um, tough
1: decision. It it was a decision that was made for really my family, you know, me and my wife. um, We had two kids at the time. And at that point, I had three arm surgeries, uh, turning 30 years old. And I felt like the odds of me being able to get back to the big leagues was going to be such a long shot that um, I couldn't put my family and my kids through that, even though I would have loved to continue playing. Um, it, It just I didn't feel like it was fair to them. And, you know, I I wanted to be, I wanted to be a husband and a father. I wanted to be with my kids, you know, helping them, taking them to T-ball, you know, taking them to school. And when you're playing, especially in the minor leagues, it's very difficult because you're not making the same amount that you'd be making the big leagues to where you're able to, you know, maybe your wife doesn't work. Maybe she's on the road with you. Maybe they're bringing the kids with you a lot more and you're seeing them. If you're on the minor leagues, you know, it's very tough to travel with your family. It's very tough to see them. Um, you're basically dedicating every day uh, during the season to the game of baseball and your family, you know, it takes a hit. Your family time definitely takes a hit. So it was a tough decision, but it was the right decision because um, it, it was a decision made for my family. And, uh, and I'm glad I made it at the time.
0: Great, great. Good to hear. And then, and you're, you're in real estate right now. Was that like, talk, talk a little bit about the transition to, civilian life, what was that journey like? And and uh you know how was it and, and how was it challenging to go from that life to to a new quote unquote normal life?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was very challenging. And honestly, um you see why a lot of guys struggled not just with you know baseball but a lot of professional athletes go out there and really struggle with second careers. And it's not because they don't have the ability to go out and work and and be successful at something else. It's because they dedicated their whole life to one thing. And that one thing is now taken away from them, you know, whether they played as long as they wanted to or not. Uh, And whether you had a plan B or you don't have a plan B um, when you have something that large taken away from you, you feel lost for a little bit because you wrap your identity into you know your job at that time. And it's something that you really got to be careful of, especially you know I had a lot of teammates and myself, I was even guilty of it for a time, is that you wear your success and your failures on your sleeve when it comes to the game, right? because you feel like you feel like that's your identity. Um, you feel like, you know for me, I was a baseball player right? Everybody knows me as a baseball player. So what am I with baseballs taken away from you? Well, um, you kind of go through that thought process a little bit and um, you have to, you, you really have to shake that because if you aren't able to, then you kind of just cruise through life in a depressed state, wondering why you can't keep playing the game that you love. Um, you got to move on. You got to find other things to really enjoy your, yourself with and your time with. And Uh, and dive into and and just redirect all that energy you had whether it was baseball or whatever whatever you were into prior into your second career and you know after about a year year and a half of not being able to even watch baseball on tv um, I got back into it because my kids they wanted to go to the race games they wanted to watch tv and watch the race and my wife wanted to watch baseball on tv and, and I started realizing like look why am I why am I so upset that I am not still playing Why I should be very happy about how blessed I was to play the game at all. And so I got that thought process going in my mind and I started directing all my, you know, focus uh, from where it was on baseball into, you know, um, a new desire to provide for my family in different ways uh, and be successful in the realm outside of baseball in the real world. Right. I wanted to be somebody who wasn't just a jock, who could only make money and only only do certain things on a field, but never could translate into anything else. Um, And so that was my new goal. And uh, I started out in medical device sales right out of retirement. Did that for a while and really liked it, enjoyed it, and was successful at it. And then when broadcasting came around, uh, my scheduling for broadcasting, I was doing more and more broadcasting, which made it harder to do the sales job. And so I wanted to find an industry that I had a passion for and that I thought I could be successful in, but also be able to kind of dictate my own time um, and my schedule a little bit more. And, you know, real estate, I had a really good friend who was a broker in the St. Pete area and just kind of talked to her and talked to her about um, possibilities of, of, you know, job transition and she convinced me that it was probably the right move at that time. And I agreed with her and, and I still do. I think uh, it's been a good move for me. Um, and it also, you know, like I said before, it helps me manage my time to where I'm still at all my kids, you know, a lot of my kids' games. I, I'm, I'm, you know, able to broadcast these games for the Rays that I love doing. And so my priorities are where they need to be. And it's because I was able to transition to a job that, that was conducive for that schedule.
0: Do you find, and I, I, would never played pro sports, played high school, a little bit of college, and then, you know, taught for a little while before helping Joe start empower. And one of my main roles now, and it's developed over the years is selling group events. Do you find, and I, I love the idea of selling, not necessarily because of the, obviously there's financial gain for the company and everything, but I, it's almost like that competition, right? It's that fire back from, you know, being a high schooler playing football or baseball. Do you find that like the, the, the medical sales and then now real estate, do you think that satisfies a little bit of that hunger that, Hey, maybe I'm not getting it from playing a sport, but I can get it. And it's just, it's going to be look and feel a little bit differently, but I'm still going to get that taste of the competition.
1: Yeah, I think that honestly, if you're a competitor by nature, you're going to find competition in anything you do (laughs) and uh, sales, yeah, sales, 100%, you know, you, uh, whether you're making what you want to make, you look at somebody else who's doing very well and you aren't jealous of them, but you want to find a way to compete with them, right? Just naturally, you find, you want to find a way to compete and, and increase what you're doing. So not to make necessarily more money, it's just because you're so competitive, you want to be the best, you have that pride. And I think a lot of the successful businessmen and women out there have that competitive edge. And it translates from when they were younger. A lot of times you see those um, people who were very good at either sports or very good at something at a young age where competition, it, it really was taught to them right? For me personally, I learned how to compete in the minor leagues. And um, that's what really drove, that's one of the things that drove my success, especially in baseball, is to figure out how to get the best out of my abilities so I can win at whatever I'm trying to do. And, you know, um, whether it's sales or whether it's, uh, you know, broadcasting or whatever it is, um, you have that pride, but you also have that competition to be the best. And I think the people who have that Uh, attribute are typically the ones that are most successful in their fields and are typically the ones that um, get the most out of their own ability.
0: Yeah, love it. Um, And then the other, and this is a big leadership thing, and people always talk about relationships, relationships, and the ability to build trust. Um, And obviously, again, in sales, there has to be an element of you know, building rapport with people, them trusting you, them being, you know, being able to say here, here's money for your service or for your, you know, your product. Um, Talk a little bit about how Doug Wechter builds relationships in the professional world now.
1: Yeah. um, Organically, I would say, you know, I I hate the uh, false relationships that you build for business. And I, I mean, what I mean by that is if you're fake, Whether you get the deal or not, it's not going to work out long term, right? Uh, I always thought of myself, I never really considered myself a salesman, even though I've been in sales forever now. Uh, It seems like uh, the way I sell is more through friendship, Um, friend relationship sales, right? Uh, I I sell to people, well, now it's real estate, but before with doctors, I would get to know them before trying to introduce a product to them. And after I got to know them and know their personalities, I wouldn't try to just shove every product in front of their face. I would, I would introduce products that I thought would really actually help them. Uh, yeah. I, and I wasn't looking, I think a big key for me is money has never been my focus when I go into sales. Uh, I, I think that if you start seeing things as a paycheck, it, it really can hinder um, you wanting to do the best for your client, right? It makes decisions for you when you're thinking only financially, that may not be what the client needs and that's when you start coming across as a used car salesman or you know kind of that that sleazy type of salesman that basically will tell you anything just to get the number um i I never wanted to be that guy because i wanted to succeed long term and i always thought long-term success was more more uh favorable um, then just being able to hit a number for one year and then your business bottoming out. Right. Yeah. And so that was always my goal. And I think that um, by building relationships, people naturally want to do business with you. And that's where, that's where real success comes in is when people want to do business with you because of who you are not just what you're selling. Yep. So um, that was always my goal to be that type of salesman and uh, it's worked out so far. So
0: no, I, we'll I love it. I love it. It's a, it's a great point. Uh, two two great points. One, the, just the importance of being authentic in, in relationship building and trust development. And, you know, if you do that well enough in sales or in anything that you're in, it'll, it'll come back to you. Um, and then two that, that idea of the delayed gratification almost, right. You know, I'm not going to sell anything today, but I'm going to get to know something about this other person and down the road that's going to pay off. I don't know when, but it'll, it'll get there. And you just have to trust it, you know, trust that process. Um, we are on the home stretch here. We're going to finish up the episode. We have Doug Wechter, former Major League ball player, real estate agent, broadcaster for the third place Tampa Bay Rays. That's the last time, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, be, he'll be dumping on me when they, they beat the Yanks in the playoffs if it happens again this year. <laughs> we uh, we always finish up the episode with a handful of rapid-fire, rapid-response questions. And usually people break the rule and, and answer long on one of them, but uh, I'll get Piniella on you and we'll keep you back in check here. So um, <laughs> best advice you ever received from a coach or a teammate, any level, could be pro or prior to that.
1: Uh, don't be afraid to fail.
0: Great. Love it. A hitter from today's game that you would have loved to face when you were at your best, uh, when you were in the bigs. Mike Trout,
1: but I don't know how that outcome would have been for me. I just would have loved to face him.
0: <laughs> it, it would have been pre-exit velo stats. So that probably would have been good for you.
1: <laughs> oh no. Hey, listen. If they had Exit Velo back then, uh, that machine would have been smoking half the time when I was on the mound because all the balls getting flown out of the park.
0: <laughs> uh, besides the trop your favorite stadium?
1: Old Yankee Stadium. I will give you three. Old Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park, and Wrigley Field.
0: Great, great. Old Yankee Stadium, I'm, I'm with you on that. The new one yeah. doesn't do it. new one doesn't nah. do it. It's, something about it's nice, walking, but it, it is. It's it something about walking ghosts, through the tight – You know. The ghosts, and then I, I always love to go in there. You're walking through these tight tunnels that smell like beer, peanuts, and urine, and maybe a little yeah. bit of blood mixed in somewhere, and sweat, <laughs> Sm- and, and then you get through this little tunnel to where the field is, and it's like it's a new world that you had. I, I miss it. I miss that part of the old stadium. Oh, yeah. ball player you love watching now, not named Mike Trout, since he was already in one of your answers. Um, you know –
1: I love watching, let's see, um, well, there's so many pitchers out there. I'll give you, you know, Tyler Glass now from the Rays is a lot of fun for me to watch because he's just so powerful and the way he goes about his business on the mound is just incredible. Um, He's awesome to watch. Uh, Let's see, Juan Soto is -hmm. a guy who, um, you know, every time he gets up to the plate, you just wonder if he's going to flatten a baseball. So I'm just kind of in awe by how good he is. Uh, so those are a couple of players that I really enjoy watching.
0: Um, from a pitching style standpoint, do you prefer watching the guy like, uh, a uh, Greg Maddox who was surgical, but wasn't, you know, wasn't throwing, you know, didn't throw hard. He threw a lot of, you know, change speed, you know, hit spots. Would, did you prefer watching a guy like that or a guy like say, you know, Randy Johnson, that's just like, here it is. Good luck.
1: You know, that's a really good question. Um, I honestly appreciate both styles of pitching, and I really could get locked into either one. Um, I would say I, I still am in awe of guys like Jacob Degrom, who you know goes out there and sits 100 miles an hour with one of the best sliders and curveballs and changeups in the game, and I just don't know how he physically can do it. Um, So I would say I'd rather watch Jacob Degrom pitch than, and I, I'll go back on my last answer. I said Tyler Glass now, but I would put Degrom up there, and I, I would watch that guy pitch any single time he takes him out. Yeah,
0: it's too bad the Mets don't score when he pitches. He's, he lead oh, the league dude. and wins every year. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> embarrassing. They need to put him on a team that's actually going to score for him. You got to talk to your boy the Ring about that. He's a Metropolitans fan. So. <laughs> oh
1: gosh, oh I can't believe Joe is a Mets fan. Yeah, yeah, you're giving yeah. me you're giving me some good ammunition. Yeah, time,
0: yeah, don't, yeah, we can go on and on with that though. <laughs> um, <laughs> last two are a little bit more serious in tone. Um, something from you, a skill or a trait that you hope translates to your children. So, a positive skill or trait from Doug that translates to your children that you hope. Um, I have.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I'm a. I'll say that uh, my faith um as a christian man i I really hope that passes along to my my kids um it's something that i grew up with and has gotten me through a lot of things and just having that faith in the back of my mind always with me and knowing you know i'm not really alone i got a purpose and i got a drive inside of me Uh, i really hope that passes along from me and my wife down to our kids that would be one one main thing for sure yeah
0: and then final one, uh, if you could share, again, you have had a tremendous experience, a, a big league career, great family, you know, you know, doing your thing in the, in the business world now and calling games. If uh, looking back at when, and again, when you speak in front of, you know, high school athletes, aspiring athletes who maybe want to go to the next level, whether it's a college or even, you know, to the professional rankings, your, your nugget of knowledge to them, you know, to anybody that's listening who wants to make that jump.
1: Yeah, don't let other people tell you you can't succeed at something, right? Um, until you try it for yourself, you don't know that. Uh, it, it, there's situations all throughout and all, all related to Major League Baseball because that's my background, but, you know, you got scouts at every level, baseball scouts, telling you unless you're six foot four, you know, 250 pounds, you're not going to make it. Well, you know, there's countless number of guys in the major leagues. we got a catcher on the Rays team right now who's – Five foot eight, 188 pounds, right? If he would have heard from a scout that he can't make it because he's not big enough and shut it down, well, then he'd never be able to put on a major league uniform. Yeah. So, you know what? It, it, go ahead and, and prove people wrong, right? You want people to doubt you so you can prove them wrong. And, right. you know, no matter what, you're going to have people doubting you and, and not agree with you. And that's fine. You don't have to be friends with everybody out there, but um, don't let them tell you that you're not going to succeed at something, you know, give it your best shot and then see what happens.
0: Love it. Love it. Doug, man. Can't thank you enough for joining the lead with empower podcast. I'll say that was a complete game two hit shutout right there. My friend. Thank you so much.
1: Hey, I appreciate it. I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to challenge you here. I'm going to put a bet on the line. If the rays are higher in standing than the Yankees at the end of the year, uh, you're going to owe me a, uh, what do you call it? You, You a whiskey guy.
0: You want to go with, I I dabble in the old scotch and bourbon for sure. So I'll take your bet. We'll do a virtual handshake, virtual Virtual handshake right here.
1: Raising Yankees, baby. I'll be down there.
0: uh, I'll be down there in January for the next empower meeting, if not before then. So. Okay, you can bring your payment then. (laughs) Have it it ready. (laughs) Hey, Doug, thank you so much. Ladies and gents, thanks for tuning in. That was Doug Wector, former big league ball player, realtor, broadcaster for the Rays. He leads with Empower and absolutely smashes it. And, uh, you know, high note, mic drop at the end. Don't prove the doubters wrong. Don't listen to that crap. Put your best foot forward. And if you're good enough, you will be. And if you're not, you got better going through the process. Have a great week. Be courageous, be kind, get after it. We'll see you next time. Great leadership may look and sound different. However, there are common threads that connect all tremendous leaders. They are passionate about those that they lead. They do that which brings out their best and the best in those around them. And they never take the easy way out because the exceptional will never come from easy.